Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. One, welcome back to Cut to the Chase. Uh, at the end of this show, I want to take your calls, 800-848-WABC. That's always a lot of fun. So that was a great conversation with Michael Balboni about, you know, a snapshot of where we are in the migrant crisis and the, the real lack of leadership that uh, so many local officials are struggling with, having to deal with people from other countries, migrants coming into their communities, their states, their counties, their cities, uh, without the proper resources to handle it all. Uh, I wanted to get an interesting perspective from a friend of mine. His name is Monsignor Jim Lasanti. He is the pastor of Our Lady of Lords Church in Massapequa Park on Long Island. I have been to his church. It's beautiful, and he always does an amazing sermon. And something that he's spoken a lot about is the migrant crisis. Uh, he's written four books. He's a regular contributor on Fox and ABC News. He's got a wonderful podcast and radio show called Personally Speaking on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. I'm um, talking to everyone from Vanessa Williams to Derek Jeter to Lydia Bastanich and everyone in between. Uh, Monsignor Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, Laura, thanks for having me on. And I've got to say from the outset, it is wonderful to know that you're there and that, you know, with all due respect to ABC and the programs, there's so many of the uh, program uh, programs used to focus on Republicans and conservatives, people with one particular point of view. And you have always struck me as an open-minded person in public life who happens to be a Democrat but is open to looking at both sides of everything. And if we had more of people like you in public life, I think we'd all do much better. So I'm delighted that you're at ABC on this program. Well, I really appreciate that. That's very kind of you. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Sure. So I have been in your church uh, where you have spoken about the migrant issue. And I know that Massapequa Park is not a bastion of liberalness. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> um, tell, you know, let, let the listeners know a sense of, of how you feel about this. And then I, I'm curious to know if you ever get pushback from your congregants on, on your message of, of, of true Christianity. Very good questions. And, uh, Laura, you know, even though this area tends to be Republican and conservative, uh, I think they're very fair-minded people in our community. And they all know, too, what is essentially what I've been saying, which is none of us came to this country with every advantage. Quite the opposite. We were uh, – our forebears were lucky to get out of their country to come here in the hope that America represented an improvement in the lives of their, their families, their children, their grandchildren. So everybody here knows we, we are, as John Kennedy said a long time ago, a nation of immigrants. So there's there's essentially a sense of, you know, we, we do know we've got to make people welcome in our country, that the future of our country depends on that so-called melting pot, people from every land. Uh, what I'd like to say to them, which gets them, I think, thinking about the possibility that uh, we've got to be more open-minded about migration, immigration, is that, you know, everybody sitting in my congregation, I know they would do anything, anything to give their children a better life, and they would do anything to take them out of danger, and they'd do anything to improve their circumstances. And that if we can just see these people not as some crowd invading the border, but rather as, as people just like us, families who are saying, you know, I've got one crack at trying to save my child's life and make sure they have a better life than I have. And if that means crossing the Rio Grande, I'm going to do it. Now, having said all that, and the people respond well to that, I, I have to tell you, I've never gotten anyone saying, no, you're wrong, they don't belong here. 
I think everyone has the same misgivings, and I guess you touched on it very much with uh, Senator Balboni, mm-hmm. and that would be, you know, there's a way to do it, and, and are we really helping people by just letting them in with no real plan, no real structure, no real resources, right. and, and taking them around the country, and I mean, in the end, I think we may be doing them a great, great disservice, uh, and I'm, I, you know, I've thought about this very often in terms of the Biden administration. I'm not sure chaos, whether it's in Afghanistan or the southern border, is really to be considered a foreign policy. A foreign policy should be just that, that there's a policy, a plan, where we, we're not just catching up, but we know what's coming and we're ready for it. We're clearly not there. So two really interesting things I just want to underscore, Monsignor Jim Lassant, uh, is the idea of empathy. And when you say to someone, you would do anything for your child, what would you yeah. do for your child? What sacrifice would you make? I think anyone could relate to that and say, yeah, I get it. However, however, uh, the lack of leadership that I think you so rightly point out makes it worse, obviously, for the migrants because they're being shuffled around. And, and, and but that also leads to their demonization yes. because they are seen as this horde, this unwashed horde invading our communities. And that's certainly not good for them either. You know, this may sound like a strange comparison, but Pope Francis always says when you're dealing with the homeless, you know, most of us are inclined to drop a buck in in the the, the can and walk on. But he said, we'll never get anywhere with the problem of homelessness unless you stop, crouch down, look this person in the eye, tell them, my name is Jim, what's your name? Find out something about them that makes them not just the homeless, but rather an individual person, a child of God, just like everyone else. And I think the same thing is true here. We're seeing these videos of thousands of people coming over our borders, and they are, as you say, the horde. But if if you just got to know even one of them, you'd say, okay, this guy's coming from Salvador, mm-hmm. uh, impoverished, um, frightened by terrible gangs down there, living with a corrupt government, and is just saying, I've got to do something for the sake of my children. I think most Americans are very fair-minded when it comes to, yeah, just as it worked for us, you know, in, in my own case, the Italian side came in the 1880s, the Irish side came in the 1820s. Both of them came from abject poverty. Both of them came to America because it represented hope. And I think for these folks coming through the southern border. That's that's what it's all about. And I don't want to see us, as you said, demonizing anyone, but I'm afraid that's exactly what's happening. And that's what I think a lack of leadership does. You know, I, I want to step back for a minute and ask you, uh, you know, when you have these kinds of con- conversations with your congregants, I think that you can be a really good role model for how to diffuse a situation and come up with a solution. So when people are sitting around their dinner tables or they're talking to their neighbors and they find they disagree about something and it gets really hot and it gets really heated and they can't seem to find common ground, what is your advice? Do you have any, and more than just advice, like actual techniques for people to use where they can, they can calm it down and perhaps maybe even have a little influence in finding that common ground. That would be a nice thing. I think with all preaching, uh, what you've got to do is include yourself as a person who struggles with the same issues they do. I I read the newspapers and I watch TV and I'm horrified by what's happening at the southern border, not not just for what's happening to America in terms of even letting bad apples in people who will certainly commit crimes, but also – for the way we're treating these people as things instead of as persons with a, an individual value that's given to them by God himself. But I tell them I struggle with this. And well, I'll give you another example with the death penalty. On on paper, the church is totally against the death penalty. And I am too, intellectually. Mm-hmm. But I said one time, you know, when, when one of my sisters was missing on the subway, I remember in my gut, my first reaction was, anybody hurts my sister, I'll kill them. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that that's very human. You know, and I tell my people that here's why the church is against the death penalty. But let's 
let's be honest, a lot of us feel it's warranted because we've got to get in touch with our feelings. Anytime we're trying to lead discussion, whether it's in church or at home, we've got to place ourselves in the position of struggling with the same issues. It's when church people of all religions get lofty and above it all and tell you what to do without talking about their own yeah. struggles that I think they cause us to uh, turn them off. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the interesting thing about the death penalty is, you know, because we are human beings, we are emotional. If yeah. someone, you know, hurt my child or my husband or even my dog, I would be I would think about vengeance very seriously. (laughs) So maybe it's good that I'm not necessarily in charge of meeting out the justice, that it can go to some impartial, you know, judicial entity. Uh, Something I'm going to address soon, and I haven't decided how to go with it, but I'm sure most of your listeners are very sensitive to it, is this situation with the homeless guy and the Marine who inadvertently choked him. But, you know, uh, in my parish, I know there are a lot of people saying, you know, how can they they indict this guy? He was trying to do a good deed, and he maybe went too far. And then the other thing I'm hearing from people is, you know, if if this white Marine did this to a white homeless man, would we have the same fuss? Mm -hmm. And and that's a a real legitimate question that we are so divided racially, right? now that we interpret everything through the prism of race. And and I think we need to talk about uh, what is the responsibility there to step in when you're on a subway and you see something happening, you think it's going to go wrong, and then how far can you go? When should you stop? But the only way we're going to ever come to common ground on any of these issues is, I think, to uh, try to put ourselves in the shoes, for instance, of the guy from El Salvador trying to save his family. And we don't do that often enough. You know, I you know that I've always said I'm a thousand percent pro-life, but I've tried a million times to say, but if I'm this woman who is caught in the circumstance and and I'm terrified of having this child and I don't have support, what might I be inclined to do? And I, I try to see it from the perspective of everybody involved in the particular issue. And the more we do that, you know, instead of this in this American divide of one side is all good, one side is all evil, and you know, and I know that's not true. Of course. You know, Monsignor Jim Lassant, I think it, so much of this boils down to empathy. Uh, and, and can I understand how this person feels? Can I see them as a real human being? And I, I think the way things are going in our society, you can blame social media, you can blame the political climate, you can blame, uh, you know, the breaking down of institutions and of feelings of community, but there, there is a sense of a, of, of a growing, and I hope I'm wrong here, I hope it's me catastrophizing a little bit, a growing feeling of dehumanization of what people see as the other. Yeah. So uh, I, the I homeless right. person, the migrant, the Republican, the Democrat, the black, the white, whatever it is. No, no doubt about that. And even in terms of understanding the personalities we're dealing with, I, I'm always horrified, as we all are, by the shootings, by the random shootings. But I, I try, if I can, to say, okay, it's not just some young man, faceless, who's crazy, and we write him off as one more bad example of someone who needs gun control or psychological help. But what's the story in the family? I, mm-hmm. I say often when I'm baptizing a child, you know, the more troubling thing in these shootings for me is not just the shooting that day, but the next day when they go to interview the parents of this boy who say, I had no clue. I didn't know he was sick. I didn't know he was disturbed. He seemed like a good kid to me. And you wonder, where are we at? Where we're so disjointed in terms of understanding one another, even in our own families, where, as you touched on before, we can't even talk about issues without saying, well, you know, I've got a, I've got a Hillary person in this corner and a Trump person in that corner, a Biden person in the other corner, Obama person. And 
in the end, we're all, I hope, just American people trying to pull it all together because, let's face it, Laura, we're looking at a world that's very, very dangerous. And the only time we've achieved greatness in this country is when we manage to pull it together and remember we're part of the same human family. You know, it's funny you brought up the case about Jordan Neely and Daniel Penny, that the, the choke hold on the F train. Right. Uh, the I interviewed a man named Tom Kenneff who ran against Alvin Bragg, and it turns out he's the guy now who's representing the Marine, uh, Daniel Penny, which is very interesting. There was a very strange parallel to that story recently. Um, I was reading in the paper, also on the subway in Brooklyn, Two people were fighting. Somebody tried to intervene and calm it down. He ended up getting slashed in the face. So, right. you know, are people now will, – will, will these two stories, will these horrible events cause people to just complete, you know, even more shut down and not care about their neighbor? That's another thing to worry about. You know, Laura, I'm old enough that I've been engaging with a lot of my friends on, on this issue, and they'll say to me, oh, well, don't you remember Bernard Getz? And I, oh, I remember a huge, huge difference, though. Huge, apparently, he was so frustrated by crime on the subway that he kind of went on the subway looking for trouble and well-loaded with guns to shoot anyone who would approach him. And, and that's a great tragedy that it happened. But this guy, Penny, it seems to me, just said, okay, I see something happening. I see it's dangerous, and I've got to step in. Did he go too far? Too far? Probably did. But you do get a sense that uh, that you're right, that we're going to be fed this idea that the best thing you can do is to stay uninvolved. And that's never good for any society. The more willing to step forward and, in fact, stand up to the bully or the criminal and do what we can, the better for everyone. Uh, who wants to sit by and watch something horrible go on and say, I should have, could have, would have, instead of doing what we can do? But I think you're right. Uh, these indictments sometimes frighten people from doing anything at all. Just like, as you know, this ridiculous anti-police feeling is sometimes discouraging some of our best people from stepping forward to be police officers. And I'll I'll talk to them. I said, but you always talked about this as a dream of his. I know, but now there's so much prejudice against law enforcement people. And I hate to see that happen. Great people should be in law enforcement. Most people in law enforcement are terrific people. You know, I make a comparison at church, which may sound strange, but I say, look, we heard this bad story about a police officer this week. I would compare it to the same bad stories you probably heard about priests. Uh, the bad guys and the priests that have made up 4% of the priests, 96% of the priests would never, have never, will never hurt a child. But right now, we're all tarred by that same brush. In the same way with the police officers, there's this uh, inclination to lump everyone together when you and I both know that we're so grateful that law enforcement is out there for us and that the majority of them are doing their job as they should with honor. You know, the demonizing of police officer, I, police officers, it makes me very, very sad because these are people who are doing a very difficult and dangerous job. And yeah. they're really between us and total anarchy. And, uh, you know, of course, either you could talk about teachers, you could talk about priests, police, journalists, politicians. I mean, yeah. and there, there's, you know, there's some screwballs in all of them. <laughs> that doesn't mean we demonize them all. Uh, Monsignor Jim Lassant, I want to thank you so much, uh, not just for coming on the show today, but for being a voice of reason and for helping us all kind of calm down and see the humanity in others. I think if we can just take the time to do that, we can make the world just a teeny tiny bit better. 
I hope you're right, Laura. You know, our church, thank God, our leader, Lourdes, has been very, very filled. And one of the things people will say to me all the time is, we all know the gospel stories, but what have they got to do with our life in 2023? And I think by talking about the issues that you so beautifully raised today in church and tie them to gospel, we can see our way, hopefully, into a better world. And thank you for what you're doing to, to give us an opportunity to converse about these things that really, really matter. You're a gift, Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you, Monsignor Jim, Jim Lasanti, and a very happy Mother's Day to your mom, who is 102? 102, that's right. God She's bless. She's having a good day. I just gave her a presence, and, oh. and thank you for remembering Cecilia. Thank you so much, Laura. Happy Mother's Day yourself. Thanks so much. Bye-bye now. Bye. All right, next on Cut to the Chase, we're going to shift gear to cannabis. Big news in cannabis here in New York. We're going to find some changes. Uh, we're going to talk about it with Brad Racino. In the meantime, please call 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you, dear listener. Yes, you. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.